Oh man, we've got a great couple weeks coming up at Avenue. We are going strong this summer and we are so excited. So ladies, I have one spot left. Uno, uno, uno mas, that's it, one more um, for June 14th. And there are 13 spots for the following week. So make sure you are getting on your phone. You can open up your camera and you can hover right over that cue card. Click the link that's attached to it and you can register today. Text your girlfriends, get there. It is gonna be such an awesome, awesome time. To all of our first time guests, welcome. We're so happy to have you here today. We hope that you felt right at home as you came in to church today. Now I got to let you in on a little bit of a Bosma inside story. My husband kind of has a man crush on Ryan Reynolds. And so anytime that he gets an opportunity, he's been like, how can I do a video? That's like Ryan Reynolds video. So that explains the fun, dry humor in our Father's Day video. So dads, you are not just a decent dad. You are an awesome dad. And so we cannot wait to celebrate every man in this room next Sunday. So make sure you make us a part of your play. That is a weak, weak clap. Can we love on our men right now, please? Thank you so much. Make us a part of your plans next weekend because we would love to celebrate you. You know, we're gathering together today to, to finish these talks or talk about these talks on, on earth as it is in heaven. And I love that we call it a collection of talks because it's literally we're having a conversation. We're not trying to preach to somebody. We're trying to converse about a topic that impacts all of us. Because how many of y'all know if someone's just talking to you, you really don't have an engagement. But if you're having a conversation with somebody... We can give and take and receive. And so I really want to encourage you to lean into this series. Last weekend was incredible. So if you missed the sermon that miracles are for day, if you missed that talk, get on YouTube, get online, check it out, because God did great things. Throughout the day last Sunday, we were getting text messages like, wow, pastor, that word that was spoken, that, that prayer that was prayed, that was exactly what I was going through. And there was no way that you could have known, but come on, the Spirit of God. And so God is doing wonderful things. So make sure you are up to date on that. I want to take you real quick to Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus, he's saying that I use synagogues. He used synagogues. And what is that? That's a, a small church in his time. It was a small house of worship for meeting places and taught people the truth of God. God's kingdom was his theme. That beginning right now. Can you say that with me? Right now. Say it with me again. Right now. That beginning right now, they were under God's government, a good government. I want you to imagine what it would be like if you were a Jewish person sitting in that synagogue, sitting in that small house church, hearing Jesus say that the kingdom of God, this good government, it's right now. I want you to imagine what it would be like if you were hearing that it's beginning now. See, the Jewish people, they anticipated a coming Messiah. They anticipated this amazing move of God when he was going to come and bring his heavenly kingdom onto earth where he would rule and reign. So this was not a new idea to them. See, Jewish people were no strangers to captivity and to oppression. If you read throughout the Old Testament, you will see a cycle that the children of God had gone through. When they are aligned with God, there is blessing. Come on, there's prosperity, there's multiplication, there's favor. There's great things that happen with the children of God when they are aligned with God. But how many of y'all know, if you read the Old Testament, they have a cycle, then they turn away from God. They turn away from God's law and God's ways. And when they turn away, God's like, all right, 
my hands off. And then the cycle continues to a more powerful enemy, whether it's a local country or other king, they will come in and they will take over the children of Israel. And they will now be in captivity under this enemy. And then the cycle continues where now it's like, oh my goodness, what happened to us? We're broken. We're in captivity. We're being oppressed. And they repent of their ways. They turn back to God's ways. And they say, will you rescue me? And the cycle continues to God delivers them because he hears them. He loves them. And he sets them free. And then it happens all over again. (laughs) And it continues and continues and continues. And so when a person of the Jewish nation was sitting in a house church hearing Jesus say that right now, the good government is here. The kingdom of God is present right now. They are thinking that what happened in the past is gonna happen now, but at a greater level. They're translating that to down with Rome because in that time of Jesus's time, when he is doing ministry, Rome was the big muscle. They were the heavy hitter. They were the powerful country, the powerful enemy. And the Jews were under their authority again. So when Jesus said, right now, this kingdom of God is entering, it is happening now, people, they're thinking down with Rome. The government's gonna be overturned and this is going to be incredible. In fact, a thousand years before Jesus's ministry, because these people were anticipating this, David wrote this Psalm. He said, they will speak, meaning people. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty of your reign. And how long are they going to do it? Because it's an everlasting kingdom and you rule throughout all generations. So every generation, Lord, is going to talk about your kingdom and your power because the kingdom has come in Jesus. So everyone is expecting this to look like what they thought it would from the past. But here's the problem. Jesus wasn't going to do anything that had been done in the past. Jesus was going to bring in the kingdom of God in him and through him, and it was not going to look like what they anticipated. So again, it's a God's kingdom was his theme, was Jesus preaching, and it's beginning right now that they were under God's government, a good government, but he also healed people of their diseases and the bad effects of their bad lives. Word got around that the entire Roman province of Syria, people brought anybody. So news is traveling. And hear me, they weren't blowing up Twitter. They weren't putting things on Facebook. They weren't making an Instagram reel about the lame man getting healed and walking. There was nothing like that except for people's voices that I was in this synagogue and my God, somebody got healed. And I I was at this pool of Bethesda and this, this man who had been lame for over 30 years, Jesus told him, get up and walk. And my God, he walked. And so these things are happening and they're telling each other. And so word is spreading rapidly. That's why we tell people, invite somebody to church, word of mouth. It means something. It's a connection. And so Jesus, anybody who was being brought to him with a sickness, whether mental, emotional, physical, Jesus healed them one and all. See, what often happens is when we're expecting something to look like something, we often miss seeing something special because it doesn't look the way that we thought it would. Has it ever happened to you? You miss seeing something. Maybe it's an opportunity right in front of you, but you miss it because you've pictured it differently in your mind. 
See, five years ago, my family moved over to the southwest part of Las Vegas because we knew that we were going to plant a church, Avenue Church, in this area. And how many of y'all have ever gone house hunting before? You've purchased a home. You've got house hunting. It is fun at first. <laughs> and then it's exhausting. <laughs> you walk into homes and you're like, were these people even ready? Like, did they know that people were going to come into your home? Like, clean up, folks. And we would look at home after home after home. And I remember one day our realtor said, we need to talk. We need to make some decisions here. Because we were coming down to the wire. Our home that we were selling was in contract. And the Bosmas were about to be homeless. And so we needed to choose a home. And she said, what about that corner lot in Mountain's Edge? I'm like, the what? The corner lot. And she named the street. She described the house with the square footage. She explained the neighborhood that it was in. And we're like, Oh, the allergy house? <laughs> we couldn't even remember the house that we had walked through because I could not breathe in that house. That house was forgettable, friends. Like you walked in and you never wanted to remember that you were in that home. That home was nasty. It was. <laughs> and I bought it. <laughs> but I never even would have considered it. It wouldn't even have been on my mind had my realtor not said, but Lindsay, I, I need you to look at this a little bit differently. I need you to realize that it's a corner lot. You're not going to have a neighbor on one side. There's nobody across from you. You have a three-car garage. Look at the square footage. Look at the neighborhood. It's a great school area, and it's a good price. I'm like, yeah, because it's nasty. But she was, imagine what it would look like remodeled. Remodeled. And we did remodel it. <laughs> but what happens is, is that we assume it just doesn't look like what I had in my head. So when I had walked in that home, it was nothing like what I imagined my next home would be. And so I just disregarded it, never gave it a second thought until someone challenged me in my thinking. See, what happens is we often let the packaging detour you from the gift. Because it's not wrapped the way I think this type of gift should, then I'm not going to be a part of it or I'm not even going to lean into it. So do not let the packaging detour you from the gift. See, Jesus did not look the way that everyone thought he should. Here is this, this, this Messiah, this teacher, this prophet, and people are saying, you're supposed to be a mighty warrior. You're supposed to be flipping tables all the time. Come on, somebody. You're supposed to be getting up in Rome's face, raising up this army and overthrowing the government. But you're spending your time healing the sick. You're restoring the broken. You're going after misfits and telling them that they can follow you and become fishers of men. What are you doing? He was compassionate. He was loving. And these were not the assumed characteristics. This was not the assumed packaging of the gift of the Messiah, the gift of the Savior. In fact, even John the Baptist. Did you know that John the Baptist was actually Jesus's cousin? Jesus's cousin doubted that Jesus was the Messiah. John the Baptist was born with the purpose to prepare the way of the Lord. He knew who the Lord was. But because Jesus did not look like what the gift of God was assumed to look like, he doubted that it was even the Messiah. So check this out. This is, this is hilarious. I mean, your own family, if you ever thought that your family like, was not believing in you, y'all are in good company. Jesus' family was like, I'm doubting you. Like, are you even it? Now, while John the baptizer was in prison, I'd be like, you're in prison, bro, and you're judging me, but hey. Um, he heard about the wonderful deeds. So they know about the deeds. The rumors are spreading at healing, 
The dead is, like, things are happening, you guys. It's mind-blowing. So I've heard about the wonderful deeds of Christ. So he sent his disciples to ask him this question. Are you really the one that the prophet said would come? Or should we still wait for another? Oh, my God. I see the miracles. I see that heaven is happening. Your will, God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. But should we be waiting for another? Because you don't look like what I think you should. You don't look like what I have in my mind. And so therefore, I'm questioning, are you even the one? And should I be waiting for another? Mm. It's hard. Jesus is incredible. Because this is what he says. He says this. He says, the blind see again. The crippled walk. Lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised back to life, and the poor and broken hear of the hope of salvation. Jesus said people are being redeemed. People are being healed. You go back, disciples of John, and you tell your boss that God is moving here on earth as it is in heaven, and the authority that is in heaven now is in me, and I am doing great and powerful things out of love and compassion. And then Jesus says this, and I need you guys to catch this because it is so important. The next thing that he says to deliver this message to John, he said, and tell John that the blessing of heaven comes to those who are not offended over me. The blessing of God will come to those who are not offended by me. He's saying, John, if you're offended by the package, you're gonna miss it. You're offended because I don't, look or speak or talk or live the way that you assume and judge that I should, you're going to miss what God is doing. See, offense blurs vision. Offense will blur your vision. So many great things can be happening all around you. But if we are struggling with an offense, if we have been offended, the great things around us will blur into the background. And the thing that has rubbed us the wrong way the word or the action that is frustrating and eating away at my heart and taking my thoughts, that's going to be center stage in your lives. And we will miss other things because they're going to get blurred out. Offense blurs your vision. So how do I know if I'm offended? Being offended often involves an experience of negative emotions. So I want you to think, do you feel upset? Have you been depressed? Have you been overcritical? Enraged? Christians get angry. Have you been insecure? Have you been withdrawn? Because these negative emotions are caused by a word or an action from someone else or something else, which is in conflict, meaning it's in a fight. It's against what you believe and what you expect and believe to be the right, appropriate, moral, and acceptable behavior. So how does this tie into Jesus? Jesus, the way that he did life and ministry and the way that he moved in the authority of the kingdom of God was in conflict with what people expected and what they believed to be appropriate for that particular time. And so they're offended. Have you ever dealt with offense? Have you ever been in conflict? Have you ever experienced negative emotions because of a conflict that you don't agree with something that someone has said or an action that has taken place? See, offense can be all-consuming, can it? It can the negative emotions that we're experiencing because of a conflict can invade our hearts. It can invade our minds. It can invade our thoughts and our, our heart. See, Jesus is in his teachings and his actions. 
were not acceptable to many people because they were in conflict with what they expected for a Messiah. And because of their offense, they could not see the blessings of the kingdom of God. See, what offense can do is it can turn a blessing into a burden. They were burdened by it. A man got healed. His hand was withered away. And Jesus said, stretch out your hand. And it was healed, but oh, it was healed on the Sabbath. We don't do that, Jesus. Like, that's wrong. Shame on you. Blessing. Burden. It's now a burden. You, you, you talk to women, Jesus. You, you extend grace and mercy. In fact, a woman was the first evangelist. You told her, of, of all the people that you've spoken with so far, the first person that you admitted to being the Son of God, the Messiah, it was a woman. We don't do that, Jesus. Blessing became a burden. And so when we are offended by something, what started as a blessing, miracle, salvation, the dead were being raised. Like people had literally lost a loved one. And then Jesus would say, rise. <laughs> a lot of times they'd get up and eat, like feed this dead person, they're now alive. And it's a miracle. But now it's being translated to a burden. See, to the offended, compassion of Jesus became a burden. An offense will transform a beautiful blessing into a burden. See, Jeremy and I have been married for 13 and a half years. Online audience, did you hear that? Can you type that? 13 and a half years. I wasn't offended last week when he said we've been married 15 years. October will be 14. Yeah. <laughs> I chose not to be offended. But do you know over 13 and a half years, that those years have provided numerous opportunities to be offended, right? Numerous opportunities that my expectations, hello, and my beliefs are not being met to the level that I thought they should be met. And so there's a conflict. But how many of y'all know if I would dwell on those burdens, if he would dwell on these offenses, if we would dwell on the hardships and the dis disagreements and where the, the bucking takes place because we're not lined up on the same thought process, that would should be a blessing 13 and a half years. You know, our parents' first marriage never even lasted that long. This is a blessing. But if we dwell on the offenses, which every day provides an opportunity to be offended, then this marital bliss, this blessing, would now become a burden. And some of us, because of offense, our relationships that started off as a blessing, that is the friend that you had prayed for. You had asked for restoration in relationships with your family. But because you are holding on to a grudge or holding on to something that was said or done and you have not dealt with it, it's now turning that friendship, that relationship into a burden. See, I've been in a situation in my life for about the last nine months. And I, what I have expected to happen has not happened. What I have believed would take place has not taken place. And I have been frustrated. I love Jesus and I'm frustrated. <laughs> been broken. And I had to take a step back out of my situation because I don't want to live like that. You don't wanna live stuck in negative emotions. It's no good for you and it's no good for the people around you. It stops us from making a difference. It stops us from living the joy that comes with our salvation. 
And so I had to take a step back from my situation and look at it from a different perspective. And when I began looking at my situation and looking at my thoughts and my emotions and the condition of my heart, I realized, my God, my my vision's blurred. I've been dwelling on this thing that I'm no longer seeing the other wonderful things that God has placed in my life. And I continued to dig deeper because hear me, that's spiritual maturity. That's not, that's not immaturity. That's not weakness to look deep within. That takes some strength and some guts to look within. So I took an even deeper look and I realized that what I considered to be a blessing nine months ago, a gift from God, because of how I'm feeling now in conflict, offended, I'm no longer viewing it as a blessing. I'm, I'm burdened by it. And is it because of the gift of God? Is it because of this? No. It's because I've been offended. I'm like, holy smokes, I'm dealing with offense. What do I do with that God? What do I do? Because it's invading my life space. It's robbing of joy. See, some of you have been experiencing the same exact thing. And somewhere, somehow, you were offended by a person's actions doesn't even have to be said to your face. It could be a post on Facebook and you are hot on the inside. You're upset. And, and because your moral beliefs, what you expect is not being met and there's a conflict of what's acceptable, moral, appropriate, which you believe is right. So we believe something has been done unfairly, unjustly. And hear me, there've been repercussions in your life because of it. There's been repercussions in my life because of it. But this is why I love Jesus so much, because it's redemptive. That offense, that situation, those negative emotions, it is redemptive. Jesus always gave an opportunity for a situation to be redeemed. He didn't just heal and restore. He said, go and don't do that anymore because there's something better for you. So God doesn't want you to stay in a place of offense He wants you to lean in, invite him into that space because there's a better way of going about things. See, offense, and this is where we dig deep. Again, it's not weakness. But when we get offended, it's all eyes on everybody else, right? Look what you did. Look what you said. You are responsible for how I'm feeling right now. Thanks a lot, you know, for bringing this into my life. But the redemptive part of offense is this. That offense can reveal something in me. Friends, God is always looking for opportunities to make you more like him. And they're not always fun opportunities. They're not always warm and cozy and comfy. Sometimes they're hurtful. Like what you believe is supposed to be done by now or what you expected isn't happening. What do you do with that? Well, I ask God, okay, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to do in me? I'm offended. Yes, I've been hurt. But what do you want to do in me? And this is what I love, what David said. King David, he was offended. But come on, somebody, if you've read his story, he's also offensive. And so when he found out that he had been offensive, he said this, he said, search me. Friends, can I tell you that that is an invitation for a God who you may see that is so distant on the throne you're asking him to come into the space of your heart. You're inviting him and saying, my thoughts, my actions, my motives, Lord, I leave them open. I leave them revealed to you. 
so that you can come in and you can tell me what you see, not just what I feel. He said, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. He's saying there's stuff messed up in me. And I know it and I recognize it. And even though things have been done to me and I'm experiencing these awful things, I also want you to see if there's anything offensive in me. Is there any offensive way in me? Lord, do I have a trust issue where I'm constantly grasping for control? Do I have anger in me? And we know that's just the surface. There's something underneath. So do I feel rejected? Do I feel abandoned? What, what in me is offensive and not lined up with you? Is there pride in me? Has an offense done to me allowed me to feel entitled and superior to somebody else? What's in me? And this is the action part. This is the promise. He's always going to lead you into a way everlasting. So when you say search me, and some of you have been afraid to say search me, because you're like, oh Lord, I don't know what he's going to find. <laughs> the good thing is he already knows what's there. He just wants you to know what's there. He wants you to turn over the holding on to it because you're afraid of what will be revealed if you open your heart to Jesus. But the promise is that I'm always going to lead you into a way everlasting. I'm not going to look at you and say, goodness, girl, I'm disappointed in you. You could stay over there. And when I'm ready, I'll invite you over to the way everlasting. You say, no, 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 no. Reveal it. Say it. Speak it. And then walk with me. You can walk and say it at the same time. And we're still going to go to the way everlasting. Because offense can be redeemed. See, Jesus offended a lot of people, especially religious people. He offended church folks, and he enjoyed doing it. If you read the, the gospel, he really had some fun poking fun at people. It's because this, because Jesus refused to applaud the outward deeds of the religious leaders when he knew that the motives of their heart were self-invested. They were self-absorbed, self-invested, self-seeking, self-promoting. Jesus prodded the heart. So even when they asked him these testing questions, Jesus already knew the condition of the heart that was asking that question. And that is what he prodded at. He put the focus on the motive because the motive was not out of a love for God or a love for people. The action, when, when your actions and the words that come out of your mouth are not motivated by a love of God or a love of people. Friends, they're just shallow religious routines. That's all it is. Shallow religious routines that somehow we have embraced and we continue to do over and over again. But when those routines are connected to life change, when those routines are connected to a love for God and a love and compassion for people, that is when we see heaven on earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We see that when the heart is tied to the kingdom. And you see, there was a teacher in the days of Jesus, a great Pharisee named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus had every opportunity to be offended because Jesus was poking bears all day long. But Nicodemus was not offended. He was in awe. He was intrigued. And so he comes to Jesus in humility. And he says this, how can this be? How can this great move of God be packaged in compassion? How can the will of God in heaven, happen on earth in these conditions where sinners are being invited to the table, where broken people 
practicing awful things, they're being forgiven and set free. How can this be? Same conversation. This is how it is. Not that. Not that. God, that just took away the momentum. <laughs> womp womp. All right. This is how it is. We know this scripture, right? When you first came to Jesus, this is probably what you memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But when you look at this scripture in the light of it was an answer to a question of how can this be? That is so much more incredible. How can it be that these things are happening? How can it be? For God did not send his son into this world to condemn it. The Jews wanted condemnation for the Romans. The Jews wanted to be placed back on a pedestal in authority and reestablished as God's people. But God said, I'm not going to do it that way. It's not going to be exclusive. It's going to be inclusive. And I didn't come to condemn the world, but I came to save the world. It's amazing. So how is that done? How can this be? Because love. Because love. So whatever you were taught as you were raised up in a church or whatever religious institution that you may be a part of that preached something other than because Jesus gave his life on a cross, let me tell you, I'm sorry. Because it's easy to get caught up in the routines. It's easy to get caught up in the idea that I have to work for something to, to earn it. But Jesus saying, Nicodemus, this is all possible because love, because love. Romans 5.8 says this, but God showed this great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners why we were still broken, why we were still trying to work it out. That is what he did. Can we take a moment and realize how offensive our lifestyles have been to God? You know, we're reading about how Jesus was so offensive to the religious, but it's really humbling to think, man, my life has been offensive to God. The, the words that have come out of my mouth or the actions that I've taken towards somebody and yet still, while I was a sinner, he chose to die for me. Despite my lifestyle, despite my mouth, despite the motives of my heart, he still gave an opportunity for me to be saved. It's redemptive. It's redemptive. And so this is how Jesus finished his conversation with Nicodemus, and this is how I'm closing today. He said, Nicodemus, let me tell you this final thought. Light has come into the world. Right? Jesus is that light. It's coming to the world. But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But if we could change our mindset to, Lord, if I bring my deeds before you and maybe they're ugly. Believe me, I've had plenty of ugly deeds in my past. If I bring my deeds into your life, what about in staying, instead of feeling, oh, I've been exposed? What if I said, I'm revealing it to you? Because he sees it already. Then it's more of an invitation to a collaboration where he offers salvation and I ask for forgiveness. It's a beautiful thing. 
He goes on to say, but whoever lives by the truth, y'all, you want to come to the light because it's better. There's a better way of doing things so that it may be seen plainly that what we have done has been done in the sight of God. He's saying, Nicodemus, you have a choice. You can stay in darkness because you're afraid of what you've done. You're embarrassed or maybe you didn't live up to a certain mark. You're, You're afraid. Or you can choose to go toward it. Embrace me for what I am and let it just be revealed. And then you and I together will sort it out and we'll align it and make all things new. See, when we are exposed, when we're revealed, these things happen. What is revealed can be healed. What is revealed can be healed. What is revealed can be forgiven. And what is revealed can be worked out for good. I have clung to this verse in Romans 8, 28. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives, the good, the bad, the ugly, the glorious moments, the not so glorious moments, all of them are continually woven together for good. For we are his children who've been called to fulfill his designed purpose. It's because of love, because of Jesus. So would you stand with me, please? Because every detail of your life, including today, June 13th, 2021, every detail of your life is woven in perfectly for good works. If you are in this place today and you are dealing with offense and life has become a little bit blurry and burdensome with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that is you and you're like, Lindsay, I'm struggling too with that. Would you please raise your hand so I can see who I'm gonna pray with today? I see it. Yes, yes, yes. Guys, hands all over the room. Yes, absolutely, I see you. I see you. Let me encourage you that even the details of this offense can be worked out for good. It can all be woven together for God's beautiful purpose in your life. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would heal us of wounds, God, that are tied to this offense. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to forgive. Forgive, Lord, to extend that forgiveness, Lord, and also that we'd open up our hearts to say, search me. Is there anything, Lord God, that you wanna do in me? Is there something that I contributed negatively, Lord God, to this circumstance? Forgive me for holding on to this for too long, but right now I'm casting my cares upon you because you care for me. So right now, Jesus, we're asking you to take this offense off of us, heal it, Redeem it, Father, in Jesus' name. If you are here today and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, if you have never invited him into that place in your life, saying, yes, Lord, I will take your salvation in exchange for the forgiveness of my sins. And Father, I'm sorry, and I don't wanna live this life without you. If that is you, I wanna pray with you today. And as a church family, we always pray together so that no one ever feels like they are in this alone because friends, there's someone who's walked the same path as you. There's people that have gone through the same thing that you've gone through. There is a big journey ahead of you and we are not meant to do it alone. So will every voice, please just use it. Use your voice and will you pray this with me? Say, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for paying for what I did. Today, I receive your forgiveness. Forgive me of my sins. 
and be Lord of my life. Be number one with all my heart, the best way I know how. I am going to live for you. I now know who I am. Come on, we say this loud. I am saved. I'm redeemed. I'm a child of God.